Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, April 24th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, you and I both went and saw some things on Sunday night, which is why we recorded early and missed some stuff, which we'll talk about here in a second. But you went and saw My Fair Lady on Broadway. You didn't get to talk about it on this week on Broadway because you saw it afterwards. Real quick thumbnail review. I think you liked it more than I did. Yeah. I loved it. It's it's a uh, Broadway radio pick, a must-see. <laughs> and you thought that Lauren Ambrose gave a much better performance than I did. Granted, I saw it like three weeks before you did, so things might have changed. Lauren Ambrose is a star. Total okay. star. She's done, right. I thought I, I'm blown away, and I'm angry. Angry. Why, why are you angry? Because this is the first time that I've seen her in a musical, and I'm angry yeah, about I, that. And that she I think should it's... Be, yeah. Yeah. I would say I think it's the first time anyone's seen her in a musical because I don't think she's really done one professionally. But OK, I'm glad you enjoyed it more than I did. I was underwhelmed and angry about her performance for other reasons. <laughs> but uh, oh, well, I one performance I was not angry about was I saw Megan Hilty in concert at the Straz Center in Tampa Ooh. on Sunday night. She is I here. Here's what I'm angry about. I'm angry that she's not a bigger star. And I'm angry that we don't get to see her do much either on stage or screen as, as I think she deserves. I have no idea. What she wants to do, she moved out to California a couple years ago. She's had a couple pilots that didn't get picked up. Um, so I, I don't know what she wants to do with her life. But I don't know why she moved out to California, whether it was to pursue things on screen or music. I don't know. But she is redonkulously talented. Obviously, everyone knows what an incredible voice she has. But I was blown away sitting in like row G or whatever I was at just the instinctive comedy that she was able to bring out of lyrics that I knew really well and never really considered funny. Um, so she's amazing. And and I, I think that's the first time I've ever seen her in person. So I'm um, blown away and I'm angry that she's not a bigger star, but hopefully she will be sometime soon. You know who shares your view? Um, a lot of people, but it's someone in particular. Peter Felicia talks about oh, really? how, how funny Megan Hilty is. So funny. And, and that she's got expert comic timing. Yeah. And voices like, you know, obviously she's done all these shows in the past, but to hear her do a bunch of different types of character voices from Glinda and then to go into the Dolly Parton character from nine to five, she sang somewhere that's green and did a great uh, Ellen Green type Audrey. And she um, did some other stuff. Just great. If you get a chance to see her in concert, highly, highly recommend. I think she might be at Cafe Carlisle um, around right now. So check that out if you get a chance. All right. First up in the news, Summer, the Donna Summer musical opens on Broadway. Yeah, we're recording fairly early, so we don't have a ton of reviews yet. In fact, we have a review, um, although if I hit refresh... Nope, nothing else came up. So Donna Summer or Summer, the Donna Summer musical um, officially opened on Broadway last night. And it, it, I have a feeling, James, that these reviews, whatever they are, just don't matter. I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be going to the Lunt Fontan Theater and seeing this show, despite what the theater intelligentsia actually have to say about it. Obviously, the show stars three women as Donna in three different phases of her life. Those women are, of course, the wonderful Tony winner, LaShawns, Ariana DeBose, best known as the Bullet from Hamilton and one of the stars of A Bronx Tale, and then newcomer Storm Lever. The show has a book by Coleman Domingo, Robert Carey, and Des McEnough. McEnough also directs. And Matt Winman from AM New York is the only review we have right now, but let me read it to you here. Looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. Look out somewhere other 
than the Lundfontein Theater, now home to Summer, Cole, and the Donna Summer Musical. Inventive title. No, see, someone else doesn't like the title. The latest addition to Broadway's never-ending assembly line of mindless jukebox musicals constructed around a singer-songwriter's biggest pop hits. He clearly didn't like it, but James, you just sent me a review here, another one that just came out from Adam Feldman from Time Out in New York. I am pulling it up right now. And Adam Feldman seems to be giving the show, as soon as the loads, two out of four stars five two uh, out of five two, two out of five stars yeah and he leads with heaven knows what the creators of summer are thinking if any thought at all has gone into this disco dud of a show three talented and blameless women play the late donna summer at different stages in her life in a tacky sub vegas jukebox bio musical that draws from the song's groovy catalog of hits at its most watchable the show plays like a barely dramatized adaptation of summer's spotify and wikipedia pages but when it's bad it's so, so bad. I'm shocked that he could give it two stars out of that lead. Um, but James, like I said, I, I don't think it matters. The the grosses, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it was pretty close to grossing a million dollars last week. And I think that as the show uh, continues to run during the summer months, that this is going to become something that a lot of people who are not necessarily theater folk who don't actually read reviews on the night that the show opens are going to want to go and see. I think it's going to do well. I think this has a Bronx tale written all over it where the people like us forecasted an early closing and it's going to run for a while. Will it has run for a year and a half, two years like uh, a Bronx tale did or is currently doing? I don't know, but I don't know that it really matters, James. I think this is going to be a show that people are going to see. And I think it's going to be a show that people really like. And it has a good word of mouth to those of us outside of the community who are seeing just about everything we possibly can. Yeah, it's got uh, quite a talented uh, group of people up on stage there. So I think that they can sell it. Uh, uh, sans uh, a really strong story behind it. I just sent you Chris Jones's uh, Chicago trip. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't care what he ever has to say. Uh, I'm sure he's a very nice man, but his reviews it, well, this didn't start in Chicago. He makes everything out like it, it that starts in Chicago like it's the second coming of yeah, uh, my fair lady, gypsy, guys and dolls and Hamilton all rolled into one. So I just kind of skip over his. Did he okay. like it? No. Did he like it? No. Yeah. He didn't. I still don't care. <laughs> All right, then we will move forward into uh, in other openings. I, uh, the other day, we had the opening of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, and they have magically appeared as well. Yeah, sorry, I screwed that headline up for you completely. I tried to be clever. It didn't work because I know nothing about Harry Potter. But yes, we missed it on Sunday night because, as I said, I was seeing Megan Hilty. You were seeing My Fair Lady. But this little play called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, perhaps you've heard of it, opened at Broadway's Lyric Theater on Sunday. Directed by John Tiffany, the script is by Jack Thorne and is based on an original story by the pair, as well as Harry Potter creator J.K. Rowling. The most expensive play in Broadway history, the show has won a slew of awards already for its it's London premiere, and it's likely to do the same here in New York. The reviews were strong, but perhaps not as perhaps not as effusive as I would have expected them to be. But the physical production and the magic and the, the showmanship that it brings to the stage won quite a bit of praise. However, a lot of these reviews that I'm going to talk about spoke to something more than just the physical creativity of the show, including Ben Brantley from The New York Times, who said, quote, 
for this slyly manipulative production knows exactly how and how hard to push the tenderest spots of most people's emotional makeups. By that, I mean the ever-fraught relationships between parents and children, connections that persist, often unresolved, beyond death. Time-bending, it turns out, has its own special tools of catharsis in this regard. In the multiple worlds summoned here, it is possible for kids to instantly become their grown-up mentors and for a son to encounter his forbidding father when dad was still a vulnerable sapling. Quote, I am paint in memory, a talking portrait of the long-dead wizard Dumbledore, played played by Edward James Highland, says to his former star pupil Harry, well, that's art, isn't it? Substitute theatrical showmanship for paint, and you have this remarkable production's elemental recipe for all-consuming enchantment. So I, I think he was talking about a, a more emotional center than what I think a lot of people expected for this show, which was all going to be all about the, pardon the pun, wizardry of its stagecraft. Now, Adam Feldman of Time Out New York, as opposed to what he gave Summer, gave the show five out of five stars, writing, quote, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is haunted by death and pain. It is often suspenseful and sometimes downright frightening. Yet, amid the cinematic tumult and dazzle of the densely action-packed plot, Thorne and Tiffany carve out quiet scenes of intimacy and tenderness. Great care has gone into creating each moment of this state-of-the-art adventure. It leaves its audience awestruck spellbound and deeply satisfied now finally as she almost always does vulture sarah holdren gives a fresh perspective on these reviews writing quote but the additional and perhaps most powerful enchantment of this particular trip to the theater is actually on our side of the footlights looking around me i saw hogwarts house colors I guess that's a thing. Black robes and wands filling the seats. When Jamie Parker made his first entrance as Harry Potter, and when Noma Dumazwini and Paul Thornley first appeared as Hermione and Rod, Ron, and already the already crackling energy in the Doc Auditorium erupted. This isn't normal entrance applause. The audience is cheering not for celebrities, but for characters. Not that the actors aren't doing cheer-worthy work. On the contrary, they're turning in effective, endearing performances, from Parker's stubborn, struggling, still emotionally stunted Harry, to Thornley's dad jokey Ron, to Dumasweeney's restrained but comically adept Hermione, and Poppy Miller's patient not-to-be-messed-with Jenny. So, James, it it seems like to fully appreciate this show, you should have a fairly substantial knowledge of the Harry Potter canon. But for those that do, it sounds like it's quite an event, not only for the spectacle of what's being put on stage, but the emotional core at what the story is being told. So let me um, make a correlation here. Uh, and and don't anybody kill me over this correlation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm grasping at straws here. Um, so you don't really need to know SpongeBob to go to SpongeBob and have a good time? Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming that the same is going to be true, the Harry Potter thing, uh, and we'll be able to litmus test this this week. Uh, my wife has never read the Harry Potter books, oh. and we're going to go see Harry Potter Thursday and Friday. So uh, uh, okay. we'll give everybody a report back next week on that. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling I, I I see what you're saying, and I think there's definitely a correlation there. I think that it's probably more true with SpongeBob because uh, it seems like Harry Potter's plot is built on a lot of their relationships from the books and movies. So I think it would help. Um, but I but I think you're probably right that you'll probably have a great time at the theater, whether you know the backstory or not. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what Sarah Holdren said because people cheered for the SpongeBob characters as they came onto stage. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, uh, there's some parallels there. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, uh, you know, and I, I wonder financially if they would stack up against each other. Hmm. Anyway, next up in the news, uh, Miss Cleo predicted this, uh, Sierra Bogus withdraws from the West Side Story concert. Yeah, James, like I think I said to you when this was announced, it's really easy to make yourself look like you're good at predictions if you just pick the most obvious thing and then make it seem like it was a bigger deal to predict after the fact. But as we kind of anticipate, that's my that's my entire yeah. life's uh, yeah. theory there. Um, anyway, we, we did anticipate this, but following the news that she would be singing the role of Maria in a concert of West Side Story at London's Royal Albert Hall, many were decidedly upset that the decidedly not Latina Bogus had been given this opportunity. Well, yesterday in a pretty introspective and seemingly heartfelt message, Bogus withdrew from the concert. She wrote in part, quote, after much reflection, I've, I've realized that if I were to do this concert, it would once again deny Latinas the opportunity to sing this score, as well as deny the importance in all caps of seeing themselves represented on stage. And that would be a huge mistake. Since the announcement of this concert, I've had many conversations about why this is a crucial time now more than ever to not perpetuate the miscasting of this show. I apologize for not coming to this realization sooner. And as an artist, I must ask myself how I can best serve the world. And in this case, my choice is clearer than ever to step aside and allow an opportunity to correct a wrong that has been done for years with this show in particular. James, uh, much like the changing of the name of the gypsy robe, this has drawn quite a bit of passionate debate on both sides. But for me, this was really the only decision that Sierra could have made uh, in this situation, both from a personal and a professional one. I mean, I think her statement was one of the better ones that we've seen in these situations. She acknowledged that she made a mistake. She apologized. She showed how she is going to address it. And and I hope that this means that people can move on from uh, criticizing her because I, you know, I understand where the, the initial thought was coming from. It's not the full concert staging of the show. It's some songs from the show. It's just a concert with a group that she's done stuff with before. So I, I understand. I just hope that we can move on together to figure out ways to promote inclusion and champion representation in our community with things like this moving forward. Yeah, I, I'm interested uh, from the artistic side and the producing side who kind of went forward with blinders about, about this and if they really even thought that they would have to deal with this issue. Uh I mean, really, at first, when you had mentioned it to me, I didn't think twice about it. I was like, oh, it's just a concert, and she's really singing the beautiful music. But right. I, can, I can see the point that uh, that has been made here. And any word on who's going to replace her? No, not yet. But uh, one thing uh, about that— Does I, Megan I, Hilty know this music? <laughs> I'm sure she knows it. Yeah, she's saying a, she's saying a dynamite— uh, uh, I, I could have danced all night last night. Let me tell you, she had a much better soprano than someone else. I've heard sing that song lately. But anyway, um, one thing that came to mind, and I've heard people say this online a little bit, was that I wonder if some of those blinders were, were less blinders and more of a fact that 
this is being done in London. Sarah Boggess, as much as we think of her as a Broadway star, is probably even a bigger star in England and in the UK and in the West End. So perhaps this was something where it's just not as big of an issue on that side of the pond. And because she's an American actress, uh, kind of the spotlight's been shown on this more than it would have been if they would have gone with a, you know, British actress of similar skin pigment. All right, let's uh, get into last week's Broadway grosses. All right. In total, last week's grosses dropped about $223,000 from the previous frame, but that was more than due to two specific scheduling situations. The first is that Bruce Springsteen only did four shows last week, dropping his grosses by nearly $488,000 from his normal five-show week. One show... $490,000 almost. Um, The other issue was the aforementioned opening of Harry Potter, which, since it's a two-part show, had a lot of comps and a lot of of press and opening night VIPs that got free tickets. So that show's grosses dropped just under $429,000 for the week. Those two shows combined more than making up for that $223,000 dip. So the rest of Broadway was actually up from the previous week. The biggest climber was Carousel, which picked up nearly $228,000, and it was followed by Children of a Lesser God with one hundred twenty-four dollars in the black. Per the huge, Hamilton was at the top with $3,081,677, followed by The Lion King, Springsteen, Wicked, Frozen, Dear Evan Hansen, Mean Girls doing really well, Aladdin, Carousel, Harry Potter, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, Phantom, and Hello, Dolly. Not sure why that one's closing with over a million dollars a week. But anyway, now, James, as I mentioned earlier, Summer is doing pretty well at the box office and was actually the top show outside of the Seven Figure Club at $963,000. Now, both Escape to Margaritaville and SpongeBob, which you talked about, were under $700,000 this week. Now, I would imagine that the summer months will be good to both of them, but I do have to wonder how they will do along with shows like A Bronx Tale, Beautiful, Anastasia, and Once on This Island, which only did 475 k last week. I wonder how those shows will do post-Labor Day if they decide to even continue after the holiday and tourists mainly leave the city. <sighs> So it it just gets more interesting every week. Uh, So I guess we're going to finish up this season uh, with uh, amazing numbers. Uh, Do you you have a year-over-year progression uh, comparison? Um, Not not for the total year so far, but um, this week was actually – yeah, this was down significantly from the corresponding week last year, but there were four more shows playing last year uh, than at this time this week. But it does feel like this has been a pretty sizable growth period over the last few weeks over last year. Yeah. All right. What would it, what did me the one more time? <laughs> <laughs> what did we miss today? All right. In other news, here are some headlines that didn't make it into the main part of the show, but we wanted you to be aware of. Yesterday, it was announced that a pair of multi-time Tony winners, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cheetah Rivera, would be this year's Lifetime Achievement Tony winners. Well-deserved both, obviously. On Monday, MTC announced that they would be bringing uh, the or would be producing the New York premiere of Becca Brunstetter's play Cake, beginning in early 2019. <laughs> Cake. Directed by Lynn Meadow, the show will begin performances on February 12th. As a reminder, Tony winner Faith Prince will star in the world premiere of the show later this year yesterday the public theater announced casting for their upcoming shakespeare in the park production of othello directed by tony winner ruben santiago hudson chakuti awuji will play the titular more of venice sarah uh, had what you hit that from three point range 
<laughs> I know Jewy. What he said? Chikwudi Uwuji. Yeah, I, I know this one. Um, I've looked Man, this one up multiple times one. before. Sorry, thank you for bringing attention to it. I appreciate the pat on the back. Um, Heather Lind will play Desdemona, and because it's Shakespeare in the park, no one other than Corey Stoll could be playing Iago. The show is scheduled to run. He's in every show that yes, do. Yes, he. Um, and it's awesome. And, and well-deserved. He's awesome, yeah. Um, the show is scheduled to run at the Delacorte from May 29th through June 24th. Now, shameless plug time this morning. Broadway World will exclusively live stream the Outer Critics Circle Award nominations at 11 a.m. Jen Colella and Katrina Link will announce the nominees. We'll have a link if you want to tune in, of course. And finally, happy second we'll birthday to Waitress. A link, no, Link, not Lank. Yeah, I, yeah, I've screwed that one up many yeah. times in typing out her name. Uh, but finally, happy second birthday to Waitress, which celebrates two years on Broadway today. Um, real quick, I want to run through this. They've had 22,635 cups of coffee, 325 pounds of flour, 675 pounds of sugar, 18,170 guest checks, 9,071 pie slices, and uh, 2,070 pounds of dough during their two-year run. If you would like more information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broadwayradio.com. You didn't mention the new streaming service. Yeah, we'll get to that. I want to talk about that a little more. Stage is all it's called. This thing's been around for a while, actually. They've been ramping up, but a new streaming service. In fact, they're claiming to be the first theatrical streaming service. The Although first. I can think of I can think of three off the top of my head that are already up and running. Time it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, it kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> gotta gotta pay your respects to Broadway HD. I mean, and, yeah. and the others who have really yeah. done some Scenarium. Yeah, there's a yeah. ton of them. All right, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt and James. I won't be here tomorrow. You won't be here for the rest of the week after that. So I guess I'll talk to you on Monday. I'm sure we'll probably talk in between, but tomorrow, Julie and I'll be here, and then I'm going to go see Summer, colon, the Donna Summer musical, ah, uh, and then I'm going to go see Harry Potter's part one and two, and then I'm going to go see something else. I'm going to go see St. Joan. Uh, oh, I'm, so. I'm, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that one. And then I go see The Iceman Cometh. So uh, it's going to be a zoo. So, uh, yeah, I will be back sometime next week. No. Cool. Yeah. Who are you? Tell people who you are. My name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us and uh, all that other stuff we said before. Ibid. See you then. Ibid? I don't know what that means. Ibid? I-B-I-D. Yeah. You don't know what I-B-I-D means? Um... Can you study Latin? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what is that? let's see what it stands for. I was thinking, I, I was thinking In the internet, Broadway, data, Broadway, Broadway database. database. Yeah. <laughs> In the same source. There we go. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Go pick up your kids. Bye. Bye. Bye.